jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here we go. This is a bit you might know. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Great passage, eh? Just imagine being in Galatia at that time, maybe undergoing persecution because you've dared to become a Christian, maybe disowned by your family, persecuted by the government of the time, rejected by the religious leaders of the day, and you get this letter. <laughs> and you are reminded of a, of a truth that boggles your mind. The truth is not only that Jesus lived as important as the incarnation is. The truth is not only that Jesus died for our sin as important as his redemptive death was. The truth is not only did he rise from the dead so that we might live in resurrection power. The truth is, also is, that he lives in our lives now. In the person of the Holy Spirit. God who created the universe. God who became man and lived among us. God who died on a cross and rose again, God has come in the person of the Holy Spirit and he lives in us today. Isn't that amazing? You don't have a God made out of wood or stone. You don't have a God way up there or a million miles uh, above us. You have a God within you. And Paul is reminding the Galatians of this truth, this amazing truth, and saying to them, so I say to you, let the Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Well, everything I have said so far is the truth. But there are other realities, aren't there? that we are aware of and conscious of every day of our lives. And one of those realities is that uh, 
God has made us in a particular way so that when we face a, a crisis or a threat in our lives and our safety and our protection becomes the most important thing on the agenda, we have part of our brain that, that clicks in and pours the adrenaline into our system and shuts down our cognitive processes so that we respond or react emotionally, isn't that right? So, uh, you know, there's what, 90 people here, we all, have, we all have different things that trigger us off, right? So you might be made to feel, you might feel anxious because of some particular incident that occurs in your life or a particular person who comes into your life or a particular word or words that are spoken may create in you anxiety. And what that anxiety is, is the, is the smoke detector in your brain has just gone off. And it's telling you you're under threat and it is giving you the capacity to act quickly in response to that threat. Just like if you went out of this church this morning and you came face to face with a tiger, a man-eating tiger and a woman-eating one as well. And they're very prevalent at Mill Park at this time of the year. You would like to think that because you're a Christian and you're in control of your life, that you would stretch out your hand and pat the face of the tiger and say, nice tiger, nice pussy. I'm a friend of Daniel's. <laughs> but the chances are you won't do that. The chances are that the adrenaline will flow into your system. You will feel fear that, that you've never felt before and you will cover the distance between the tiger and the front door of this church faster than Superman has ever dreamt about. Because in that moment, fear has saved your life. The smoke detector went off and you acted. Now that happens many, many times in our lives and it doesn't take a tiger to do it. It takes an argument or a criticism or a rejection or a put down and the same thing can happen. And it's then that your passions are, are released and take control of your life. And in the cases I've mentioned, the, the, the tiger, it works to your good. But in most cases, it doesn't. In most cases, it causes you to act and say things that you regret later or maybe you regret later, okay? So why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because we have been built by God in such a way that we don't only have a brain, but we do have emotions 
and the passions that Paul speaks about come more out of our emotional reactions than they do out of our cognitive processes. Now, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but it's even true when you fall in love. When you fall in love, it's one of the less rational things you've ever done in your life. Right? It's, it's, it's an emotional-driven thing. And if we, if we tried to, and most of us will get married to the person that we fall in love with, but if we try to build the next 50 years of marriage on that emotion, we'll fail. It will fail. You can't build a marriage on falling in love. You build a marriage on choosing to love. So at some point, we, having fallen in love, which is lovely, we then make a choice to love the person that we've fallen in love with, even when we discover that they're not perfect like we thought they were. They are not perfect like our, our passions told us they were. And, and we bring that together and we make a choice. Now, what I want to tell you is this. What I want to ask you is this. How do we make this truth that the Spirit produces the fruit of love, joy, and peace in our lives, how do we make that a reality in the midst of the passions in our lives taking control? What is the process by which we move from, from being controlled by our passions to making a choice about our actions? We've all seen two-year-olds uh, who lose it, right? Little two-year-old gets upset and then they, they lose it. Then nothing will, will comfort them. Nothing will stop them. Well, I have seen that sort of behaviour. I have seen that in, in families. I've seen it in elders' meetings. I've seen it in congregations. And I've seen it in the mirror. How do we move from that place to knowing that we are bear, to bearing the fruit of love, joy, peace, etc.? Well, I want to share with you what I came to as I have struggled with this, this question in my lifetime. And what I have decided is that God has also, what I've discovered, is that God has also provided a way that we move from that place where our emotions are controlling our lives, where we move back to where our heart rate goes back to normal and our blood pressure goes back to normal and our bodies cease tensing up, 
and we are back in control of our lives. And the same little part of our brain that switches on our emotion switches it off as well and we return to normal. But to do that, we need space. And one of the things that I have learned is that when I know that my emotions are reacting to something, I know that as soon as I can, I have to give myself time to step away from that situation and allow my heart and my my heartbeat and my blood pressure and my body tenseness and all come back to normal. You've got to do that because you can't make the right choice while you're still in that place, while your passions are still controlling you. So I, you know, I've been a pastor a little while and from time to time I've had people who've been upset with me and they've come into my office and they have unloaded a whole lot of stuff on me that I don't necessarily agree with. Opinions, ideas, impressions of what I might have done or said. But what God has gradually taught me to do is that I do not engage in a conversation. I listen I might even ask a question to clarify a point, but I, I will not trust myself to engage in a response. And then at the end of that time, uh, I, you, you may judge whether you would like me as your pastor or not, but at the end of that time, I will say to them, now I really do want to respond to what you have said, but I need some time could we meet tomorrow or could we meet in a couple of days' time? We have a coffee in a coffee shop and then I want to make my response. Now, why am I saying that? I'm saying that because if I don't, I will probably say something I will regret. And I need to go back and I need my brain and my emotions to, to sort themselves out. And then when they do, I can make a choice right? At that point, I can choose to embrace the love and the joy and the peace that the Holy Spirit has come to give me, to produce in me. Then I can allow him to be all that he wants to be in my life. I can allow him to guide me in my reactions. Is that making sense? Is that practical? Always make space. Do not act when your passions are aroused. Now, now I know the temptation is it feels good to react out of your emotions, doesn't it? You know, we've got terms that describe that, like I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. And we climb up on our high horse and, and, and it feels good. We get a little bit back. We get a bit of revenge. We say a few things that are a bit exaggerated just to make sure we get the point home and feels good. 
That's the temptation. That's what it means to give way to the passions of the flesh. But when I deny myself that, that won't happen. Now, here is a point that Paul makes. Having talked about the fruit of the Spirit, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. I would like to read that a little bit differently. Instead of reading it in the past tense, I want to read it in the present tense. Those who belong to Christ Jesus nail the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucify them there. It is an action we need to take. It hasn't happened once historically. It has to happen every time I need to make a choice not to be driven by the passions of my sinful nature and to be, to be open to the production of the fruit of the Spirit in my life, okay? It's a choice I make. I, I choose to nail this to the cross. Now, I love that picture. I love that picture because it just says so much to me as a Christian. How did God deal with the sin that separated man from him? He nailed it to the cross at tremendous, at tremendous cost to himself. Now, for us to nail our passions to the cross, because Jesus has already died for our sin, to do that costs very little. We, we imagine it's costly. We imagine it's costly because we don't have the privilege of getting our own back or hurting somebody because they hurt us. That's all it costs. And then when we do it, the consequence, I'm not saying the reward of that. You, you and I don't deserve rewards. It's, it's, it's the consequence of doing that is that we are now walking in the spirit we are now allowing the Spirit to guide us. And you know, he, he does things at that level that, that we can't explain humanly. He enables us to love people who in our natural place we couldn't do. I shared this story with Jeff a while back and it's just a magnificent story, but it's a story of Nelson Mandela had um, been in prison for 23 years and he'd come out and he'd become the leader of his country. And one day he was in his office um, and he said to his team, he said, let's go down the street and have lunch. So with his uh, with security detail, he he marches down, the, goes, walks down the street and into this restaurant and they all sit together at a table. And as they sit down, he notices a man 
sitting on his own in the, in the restaurant. And he said to what his security person, he said, go over to that man and invite him to come and sit here at this table. The man came and he ate the meal that was bought for him. He never looked up. He stared at his plate. He trembled uncontrollably. He never looked at Mandela, never spoke to him. And then when he'd finished, he got up and left. And the security man said to Mandela, that man must be very sick. He shook all the time. He was eating his meal. Mandela said, no, he's not sick. He was one of my torturers when I was in prison. He did unthinkable things to me, amongst which was if I would not give him the information he required, he would urinate on me in my cell. And the, and the security man said, well, why on earth would you invite a man like that to have dinner with you and with us? And Mandela said, I am not going to let what that man did to me define how I act or who I am. You know, that's the choice. That's the choice we can make when we take step back and we allow God through his spirit to place a new type of reaction in our hearts. And for Mandela, it was love not just for the man, but for, for who he was as a person. Because sometimes when we feel attacked or we feel threatened, then it's our own self-esteem that is damaged, but he would not let that happen because he made a choice for it not to happen. And I want to say to you today, that's the secret of moving from being controlled by the the sinful nature to, to the spirit of God is to make that choice to crucify my natural reaction, to take it and place it again deliberately on the cross. I, I put it there. Jesus died for that sin. I place it there now. Now, I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, um, sometimes we preachers preach about what we hope is real, <laughs> what we hope is true, but I want to tell you this is what God is, is, is doing in the life of every Christian person who has been abused in any way, be it sexually or spiritually or physically, be it in domestic violence, be it in childhood sexual abuse, be it, be it in, in the family situation, God is enabling people to rise above every evil message that they have received through those acts to experience love, joy, and peace in their lives. Are you hearing me? One of the great... Uh, Privilege, 
privileges of our life has been to sit with people who have been horrifically damaged, unbelievably abused. In fact, there were, there's been so many times in, in my life when I've heard a story and I've said, oh, wow, that's the worst story I've ever heard. And then a few weeks later, I'm saying it again. And one lady who traveled all the way to Marysville to see me, to, to have an appointment and came in, she had an hour long appointment and when she got into the office, her shame and, and her grief and her guilt was so deep that she couldn't speak. And she sat for one hour in my office without being able to say a word. We sat there together in silence and then I said to her, well, our hour is up. And she thanked me and got up and went out. And when she got back to Melbourne, she rang the secretary and she said, can I make another appointment next week? That was one of the most helpful appointments I've ever had. <laughs> and she came back again and she came back five times before she could speak. And then she told a story so horrific. And then, little by little, over a period of time, she shifted the, the guilt she carried back on the person who abused her. She learned to forgive herself for every nasty thing she'd ever called herself in her life. She learned to forgive the person who had abused her. And I want to tell you, only the Spirit of God can enable us to do that. Are you hearing me? And if she could make a choice to nail her passions, her justified anger, her justified hatred of the person who had abused her, if she could nail that to the cross, then anything is possible. One of the things that, uh, that I've found in my own life is it's, it's so easy to justify fleshly reactions to life. We find ways of vindicating that behavior and justifying that behavior. It's easy to do that. Of course I'm angry. I have a right to be angry. Of course I'm anxious. If you have been through what I have been through, you'd be anxious. Of course I'm hurt. If somebody put you down the way they put me down, I, you would be hurt. That, that's the sort of vindication and justification that we use. And God is saying, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Cool down. Make a choice. Nail it to the cross. Say, but that's not fair. It's not fair. It wasn't me that did it. I'm the victim here. I am so glad that Jesus didn't say as they went to put him on the cross, it's not fair, I'm opting out here. 
course it's not fair. No child should be abused. No, no woman should be beaten in her own home. No man should be the victim of violence in the street or in his schoolyard or whatever it might be. Of course it's not fair. Of course we have a right to be angry. Of course we've got a right to, to avoid people because they might be dangerous. But, but can't you see what's happening? Our reaction is what's wounding us more than the event. God wants to come to us. God is in us today and he wants to say to us today. In fact, the Bible tells us what the Holy Spirit says to us. Do you know? He, he witnesses to our spirit that we are the children of God. Isn't that a beautiful promise? He does that. He witnesses to our spirit that we are the children of God. And he wants to say to us today, I love you. I love you. I love you too much to leave you as a victim of the passions that rule your heart. I want to produce in you the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The last uh, verse I, or the last two verses I want to remind you of, uh, Galatians 5.24. Oh, no, I've done that, but the last one is, 525, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Do you know what that is saying? It's saying there isn't one set of circumstances, there is not one situation in your life where this truth does not apply. It's not too hard. It may feel too hard, it may feel unfair to forgive somebody who knew they were hurting you. But they are feelings. They are passions. What God wants to say is, I've given you a way to be free of those things. You know forgiveness, when you forgive somebody who has wounded you, that's, that's not primarily for them. That's primarily for you to set you free. There is no justification for continuing to carry a passion that has been fired in us by injustice. I wonder this morning, as we begin to wind up here, I wonder whether you feel that you would like the fruit of the Spirit to be more evident in your life. In fact, you're thinking right now maybe of one particular uh, fruit of the Spirit that, that you know you're lacking a little bit. 
It might be love, it might be joy, it might be peace, it might be gentleness. And you would like to begin a journey in that area of your life. You would like in this next year to grow in that particular fruit of the Spirit. Okay? So what I'm going to suggest we do is that we bow together in prayer. We ask God to confirm that he wants us to grow. And then I'm going to pray very especially about that with you. Just let's bow our heads in prayer and ask God, God, show me what fruit in my life I need to grow in. <laughs> Remember, if you uh, ask him for patience, he will probably send you someone you have to be patient with. Or if you, send, if you ask for greater love, he might send into your life someone who is difficult to love. But we can't tell God how to do this. We're only asking him if he will help us grow in a particular fruit and, it, and let it become as we pray about it and we hear God speak to us, let's see it as a goal that we have this year in the next 12 months to pursue, to very, very intentionally pursue. Usually when we ask God to help us to grow in an area of the fruit of the Spirit, He also will tell us what we need to nail to the cross. Not just once, but perhaps many times. Perhaps he's, He will tell us to nail a resentment that we've carried we felt it at one particular time and we've carried it for 20 years. And he says to you today, if you want to grow in love, I want you to nail that resentment to the cross and crucify it there. Or maybe, maybe you constantly feel unworthy you constantly feel devalued and you put yourself down all the time and you've forgotten that you are a child of God and that he's speaking to you every day and he's telling you you are his child and that he loves you. Perhaps you need to nail that self-perspective, that passion, the dig devalues you to the cross and crucify there. What is he asking you to do? He's not asking you to give up anything good here. He's asking you to give up something bad. This is not a sacrifice. This is an invitation to go deeper in making 
the truth a reality. Father God, I just thank you. Just thank you for your word. I thank you for your word is because it is so profound that no matter how often we read it or hear it, there are new depths to plumb and new dimensions of it to understand. And, and Lord, we confess that sometimes we are so slow in our growth, but, but today we just, we just want to recognize that there is, that there are, there is a, a woundedness, a passion, something that we need to once and for all and, and continue to nail to the cross because we don't want to carry it. We want to bear the fruit that the, is the opposite to that in our lives. We don't want to carry hatred. We want to crucify it and we want to experience the love that you produce. We don't want to carry unkindness. We, we want to crucify it and, and, and all our selfishness with it and, and allow you to fill us with your kindness in every part of our being. Lord, if there are people in our family that we find difficult to relate to or difficult to encourage or difficult to affirm, we want to nail whatever passion it is that, that impacts that area of our lives to the cross and crucify it there today that we might bear the fruit, experience the fruit, taste the fruit that you produce in us. And we bless you and we thank you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. the chasm.
you join with me? Let's sing How Great. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Sing again. to have been with you here this morning. Seriously, a great morning. Thank you so much, Graham, for speaking with us this morning and sharing what God put on your heart. And 
a, a glimpse into your ministry and your life. Um, if you have any questions uh, for Graham or Julia, they are more than happy to answer them. I've been told they would love to answer any questions you have, anything you want to um, talk through with them. We also have our pastors available here as well. Uh, if you have any um, questions or just things you'd like prayer for, anything like that that's been brought up from this morning's service. Um, I also... I really want to encourage you to have a think about what Graham shared earlier about getting a mentor, having someone to lead you through life, someone that's there that you know you can go to. If you don't have a mentor, please chat to our pastors. They'd be more than happy to help you find a mentor, um, someone that yeah can really you can connect with. Uh, we also have an awesome, awesome opportunity here at Mill Park. We have our Mill Park Community Care. Um, we have an awesome team of trained and accredited counsellors who are more than happy to chat with you about anything that has been brought up from today's message or just other things you're going through as well. Um, I can say from personal experience, having a counsellor is so helpful. Um, and so please get in contact um, with the church if you would like to um, start seeing a counsellor from our community care. Um, go onto our website, you can find all the information there. Otherwise, I hope you have an amazing week and I hope to see you in person again next week. For those who aren't here, you missed out, come in person next week. I promise you it's worth it. Have a good week, guys.